Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Legner, alongside uh, the original partners in crime, Chris Sherrod <laughs> and Chris Legg. Um, Chris Legg is in studio. Chris Sherrod is joining us from Dallas. Guys, it's great to be back together. Yeah, it is. Yes. <laughs> it's been a year, we just realized. Chris yes. was just telling us it's been a year plus, yep. but wow. That just doesn't Crazy. seem possible. Yeah, it is wild. Um and I, I know Bryn wanted to be here. She couldn't because we've got some uh, things going on in student ministry this week. Uh, but we've been hearing different people's stories on the podcast lately. Um, late, most recently, we've heard from David Zoll. And and so mm-hmm. I think there, there are some things that we wanted to kind of drill into when it comes to um, our personal stories. And that was the concept of anchors. Chris, yeah. do you want to unpack that real quick? Well, it's been intriguing as we've talked about it, um, as we've talked to some different people, and we've got several more coming up, that that uh, a couple of patterns have turned up that we've spotted. One is those who are able to, are willing to, I guess, stick by um, the faith uh, or, or to grow in their faith, to reconstruct their faith um, versus just deconstruct it. So one is was no big surprise, but it is amazing how universal it's been is those who have felt free to openly deconstruct within their systems, within their church, within their family, within their friendships. They're the ones most able to reconstruct those who are able and free to ask the hard questions, um, to discuss hard things, who, who have the opportunity to, to really engage and really dive in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, which is super encouraging. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you know, Chris, but yesterday I preached from 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 3, which is where God tells Samuel to tell Saul to wipe out every man, woman, child, and nursing infant uh, uh, of the Amalekites. Hmm. And so uh, and so that's all we covered with those first three verses, but really unpacking that. And But it's a really encouraging. We're not going to skip that. We're not going to run from it. We're not going to pretend like it's not there. We're not going to slide over it. We're going to spend the whole sermon talking about those three verses. And so... Um, anyway, so that's, that's one. The second one was, is that they, people seem to have anchors, um, like, like a beliefs or patterns, or I, I don't know what the right word is. I, I, I don't know a better word than anchors, like things that they can rely on not to pull loose. Um, when, when other things, when the storms hit, when things are hard, when they run into something that's scary or challenging, there's certain things they go to, whether we call them anchors or foundations, or I don't know what the right metaphor would need to be. And so I thought it'd be fun, um, you know, if we could get you back on and get to have a conversation too about what are our anchors? What are the things that hold us, hold us together? One, when things are, seem to be falling apart. Mm -hmm. One, I think it's healthy for people to hear that, that, Mm -hmm. that just because we're, you know, famous podcasters doesn't mean that we aren't, uh, <laughs> that we don't still struggle sometimes. Uh, why are you laughing, Colson? I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but the, uh, and then 
Like I just I just thought that would be a, a positive. So anyway, comment maybe Chris on on you've now had a year of life, uh, out you know connected to, and just you know, improving on life in the last year. What what you hearing those two patterns that we've been picking up on? What stands out to you? Well, part of it I reflect back to when we had David Smalley and he talked about when he was a kid and being brought into the pastor's office and the pastor was so frustrated with him yeah. that he was asking questions. And I, and I think both you and I just felt so sorry. Like, I wish you were here at our church then because <laughs> we, this is, this is exactly where you would want to go and where you would be, be welcome to do it. So I think that's a great reminder for both parents and just for people in general that Jesus is not disappointed when we have questions or doubts. And I, again, I, I go back to John the Baptist you know, mm-hmm. going to Jesus, going like, are you actually yep. the one or is there someone else? Because this is not how I envision, you know, envision this. So it's like even John the Baptist. And I think I would love to be, you know, honest and say, there's times when I'm like, is this real? Like, what if we're wrong? Like, what if, you know what I mean? Like you, those thoughts enter your brain. And I think that's where people get scared because God values faith and I'm supposed to have faith. And oh my goodness, this doubting thought entered my mind or why would God, you know, allow that or something tragic, you know, and, and just to realize again, if you really read scripture, God is totally open to us asking questions, whether it's Habakkuk, like how in the world could you use, you know, this wicked nation to judge your people or David, you know, where are you, you know, um, some of the psalmists going like, apparently I've kept my part, my heart pure in vain. Like, (laughs) This right, has been right, like, yeah. I don't know why my favorite one that I, that I can relate to when I'm going through tough times is like Jeremiah and Lamentations three, where yes, for like 20 verses, he just talks about God has done this and God, I'm like target practice and God <laughs> has made me bitter yes. and God has shut out my prayers and you just go, okay, this is not foreign. Like what you're feeling isn't foreign to scripture. And it's not, um, it's not even condemned like and then jeremiah repented of his you know it doesn't say that like he was honest yes about it but i think what what john the baptist did what jeremiah did what david did is then there's this turn and i think for me that's where my anchors come in that they're very real and raw with their feelings right but then you've got to land somewhere and i've got to consciously decide am i going to land on my feelings and let them dictate it? Or am I going to land on truth? And I think that's what's so hard. I think for me, the wrestling is feelings are so real because they're, they're feelings, but they have no capacity to think. Right. They, they just feel. Right. And so what you see like in Psalm 42, for example. Yep. Um, that's the one we did. We used to talk about depression and suicide. Even Yeah, and preaching to yourself and how are you going to talk to yourself? What I love in Lamentations 3, yep. and if it's okay, this will lead into one of my anchors. Yep. Uh, if you guys oh, verse 21 is so cool. Yeah, the, the, the turning pivot point. Verse. Yes. Like he, he literally just got done saying, I don't have any hope. Yep. Like I've, I've forgotten, I've, I've, like life isn't enjoyable anymore. He says in verse 17, I've forgotten what happiness is. Uh, my endurance has perished. So is my hope. But then he starts thinking, and this is where he's calling stuff to mind, which is different than feeling. It doesn't mean the feelings aren't there anymore, but he's allowing both of these things to collide. And this is where you got to make a choice. 
So he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Yep. So he's using his brain. What's going to give me hope is not how I feel. It's what I am going to call to my mind. And then he says, the steadfast love of the Lord, that's the Hesed love of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So now he's talking to the Lord. Right. Um, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So he, he, he gets over all of these emotions by calling to mind, okay, here's what I know to be true about God, um, regardless of my circumstances, um, big picture stuff. God is faithful. He's going to give me what I need to get through this. Right. Um, he's got steadfast love, which is based on promise, not performance. Um, <laughs> but then even a little bit later, he even says, even though God causes this grief, he will have compassion um, according to the abundance of his love for he does not willingly afflict or grieve literally from his heart. It's like, again, a parent taking the child to the doctor to get, you know, an inoculation, like man, from my heart. Right. Uh, I just wish, you know, this is going to be tough, yep. but I'm going to do it anyways. And so what, what, I, what I have to do is remind myself and, and I'll go ahead and tell you the way I do it most often um, Starting to, well, Kate, today, actually, today's Katie and I's 30th anniversary, by the way. Wow. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So, sometime during the first year of our marriage, we began um, <clears throat> what is now our memorial shelf. Um, and so, we literally have a shelf on our house, Colson's seen this, um, where there's all these different little trinkets or pictures or matchbox cars or receipts. Um, that are all stories of things where God has either answered prayer or protected us or provided monetarily yep. in some miraculous way that we've seen. Because I think even with kids, it's easy for them to think, well, that's what God did way back then in the Old Testament. Yes. And you just forget what God is still doing today. And, you know, we we get so down on Israel leaving you know, Egypt and like, why do you keep forgetting that God already fed you? He already protected you. He already, but we do the exact same thing in our life where we just forget that, that God, you know, is a faithful God. So what I go to, my two things are, I go to answered prayer, like one of those memorials, okay. um, just reminding myself, God is involved. He is real. He does care. Um, he does see me. And then the second thing is I literally have probably maybe five go-to real quick apologetics reminders in my brain mm -hmm. that, okay, that's why I believe that there's really a God or yeah, that's why I really believe that there's morality or right. Okay, that's why I believe the Bible. That's why I believe in Jesus. You know what I mean? Like I, I've just got a few little things that I have to go to that, um, they just remind me of that when my feelings are feeling overwhelmed, whether it's like I'm feeling uncomfortable about a, my personal conviction versus where the culture is, um, you know, I feel intimidated or um, outnumbered or whether I'm wondering, you know, like friends of ours, who just were waiting for a heart for their baby. It's just like, yep. Oh my goodness, Lord have mercy. You know, like what am I going to go to in those moments 
to give me hope and then to be able to even turn around and comfort them mm-hmm, when right. I'm even wondering like, Lord, do you see this? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I just have a handful of real quick reminders that convinced me, but it's almost like I have to preach that to myself as well. Mm-hmm. So what I know about God and what I've seen him do, and then a few that might've only been four, like I guess problems I have with, you know, atheistic evolution, the design argument and cosmological argument. Yeah. The moral argument, just that's just the best explanation why I believe in the Bible and then why I believe in Jesus. Like that's kind of where I go, which might sound weird. And I don't want people to be like, well, but you've studied all that. I, I really had to get that early on. Like, what are my real quick, like reminding myself while I'm mm-hmm. thinking from my, you know, wherever I'm at. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the old, uh, I just love the way so many times in the original Sherlock Holmes stories where Sherlock Holmes would solve a crime from his chair. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. He would just, but he would think through stuff and figure it out without ever having to leave his room. And in the same way, I feel like I have to sometimes like pause and sit down. Yeah. Stop and, and think. think. Yeah. And stop and think like, okay, so why, why do I believe that again? Mm-hmm. Cause there's moments where you get this like, uh, like just the other day we were doing the join the journey thing that we do at our church was in numbers where it was the same thing where they wiped out and Moses was like, um, why'd you leave these kids alive? And I'm like, Oh Lord, it's <laughs> right. so harsh. Like, Oh my goodness. Mm. And having to go back to Benet. And I think like we've said in here also knowing where to look, like what books would I go to that specifically answer that question? Right. You know, have helped me, but I don't know. Okay. That's just my, got to ask, my have okay. you on the mystery question, have you read any of the Nero Wolf mysteries by Rex Stout? No, but you've told me about okay. that before. I okay. Talk, yeah, Dude, he, he literally never leaves his chair and solves. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Like he actually does. You, you would, if you liked that about Sherlock Holmes, these are. Yeah. I read them out loud to my wife. There's 45 of them. And I think I've read 37 of them out loud to her. So anyway. Wow. Nero Rex. Nero, Nero Wolf is the investigator. Oh, Rex okay. Stout is the author. Okay. <laughs> Rex Stout. For all of you who are out there who are mystery yeah. lovers, okay. these are brilliant. Okay, so but I think so one thing that was mind-boggling to me and I didn't discover this and I should have before, but it didn't really strike me um because I was allowed to ask all the questions and and dive into all that didn't really strike me until I was um reading screw tape letters and realized that literally stopping and thinking is typically um, an advantage for God. Mm-hmm. And and I think we've been so raised that like, no, no, don't think. Like you just believe and don't think. Yeah. Um, that somehow thinking or reasoning or considering. Um, I was literally raised at one point in a church, now not my parents, but in a church that taught that 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 to stop and think or to read books or to study or hermeneutics or that kind of stuff was an act of faithlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognizing, no, no, I don't, I'm not supposed to check my brain at the door when I right. go into church or when I'm studying scripture or whatever. And so that was a big deal for me was learning that no rational thought, logic, consideration are actually, those are God's, that's his, um, uh, what is it? Brer rabbit and the briar patch. Like that's his briar patch, man. He can't <laughs> wait to get you there and he is happy for you to be there 
thinking, rational, rational thoughts and really diving in. That's, that's huge. And again, that yeah. Lamentations passage shows that. Like it's a, or, or maybe the prodigal son who comes to his senses. Yeah. Like it's a, what, what rescues the prodigal son is when he just wakes up and realizes and begins to stop just acting and reacting and just reacting to his feelings and thinking for a change. And when he finally gets still enough in the pig pens to start thinking is when he comes to his right mind. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I really want to encourage people when they're seeing, hearing this, that that's, mm-hmm. that's the case. Um, Do you think, I know you and I were talking about, or you mentioned earlier, there's so many things you feel like you're having to start even further and further back. Like this should be elementary by now. Yes. Do you think part of it is, because I know this for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm battling it more and more. We are so, um, with our phones, I can always be entertained. I, I can always have music on. There's never a time when I don't have, when I, when I'm alone with just my thoughts. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, I, I just feel like that's, we're so on the go. Mm-hmm. And to, like, I, to the point of being distracted. Yeah. Like distracting myself from, because that's what I feel like. I feel like it's easy to distract to be distracted from those kind of ex- existential questions, those ones that really, um, really keep me up at night, you know? Yes. And I think other people probably feel that as well. And so it's kind of that constant noise yeah, yeah. Um, conversation, I feel like. It's interesting because I feel like now, I don't, I don't know how much of this is just my inability to remember things um, or what, but... Like uh, recently facing some new stressors that rationally aren't all that stressful. Like they, they're like, no, no, this is all good news. This is all good stuff. But I find myself still having more feelings like of anxiety than I think I would have in the past. And I don't know how much of that is I'm older maybe or something. I don't know. But I also even wonder if like part of it is I'm just, I'm just not used to having to actually feel things that much because I can be so easily distracted. I can be so easily like, I don't have to feel things or think about it. I don't have to do either one. I can just, you know, play my little app games or answer texts or emails or, or whatever. It's so easy to avoid things that are real right now. And so anyway, I was, I was wondering if like, if, if, if some of my even emotional muscles have atrophied a little bit, I'm not used to Mm. feeling even certain things, much less thinking about them that much. So anyway, it's intriguing. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I love that. By the way, Chris, I got to tell you, so referencing um, our friends whose baby needed a heart, um, it was, uh, I was referencing, you know, how God, because I was teaching about Jonathan and the shield bearer and talking about from um, uh, 1 Samuel 14 and talking about, you know, how, how Jonathan's words are, uh, Jonathan, the shield bearer, is that what I said? Anyway, and, mm-hmm. and Jonathan says, um, you know, who knows, maybe God will deliver them into our hands. You know, it's not a, uh, listen, I know what God's going to do here. He, he's not arrogant. He's not prideful. He's not in charge. He recognizes we're going to step in faith and maybe God will do this thing. And so we talked about real faith being trusting God with the problem and even with the answer. Like, mm-hmm. so this is what I want. And, and I had put a list of things like, you know, do you do are are we willing to trust God with this question and this question, this question? And like number four on the list was, are we willing to trust God when you know we know a baby that needs a heart? And that's what I wrote down and turned in 
to the sermon team kind of on like Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then on Saturday, he got the heart. And then wow. on Sunday was when the heart was supposed to go in. It ended up being postponed till Monday. Right. But to get up and say, am I, I literally have in my notes, am I willing to trust God with something that when I wrote, I was like, I, I feel like God's letting us down on this. Mm-hmm. But then here it is on Sunday and I'm preaching it yeah. and God has has answered in a way that's hard and painful and yet exactly what we're asking for. Mm-hmm. And so I, you'd think I'd get that in my head eventually where I could go, okay, yes, I can trust God with this, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't give, you know, our, that little kid a heart. Um, yeah. uh, anyway, that's, that's one. So here's a, here's a weird one I'm going to throw out there that I was not, would not have predicted as an anchor. Um, I'll come back to a couple of my anchors here in a minute. Like specifically for you or for, for other people? For me. Okay. And, and that maybe it's one that we've let down and is, is part of why we deconstruct so easily now. And that is um, good friends. Um, and I didn't, I would not have put that um, in the last too long ago, but, but it's like these lighthouses, um, these cities on a hill that, mm-hmm. that as Christians, we are a city on a hill, but that doesn't suddenly mean we don't need cities on hills. Um, people who we can pour out our hearts to and who will come alongside us and not just tell us what we want to hear, but will love us and talk to us and discuss with us. And, and even if we're not on speaking terms with God or whatever. And that was a, a years ago, a friend of mine who they lost a baby and, and we met and he was like, I'm, I don't, it's not that I don't believe it's that I'm just not on speaking terms. I'm, I'm, I know there is a God and I know he's powerful and he didn't, you know, he let me down here. And so I'm kind of mad. And it reminded me of a lot of David's writings or Jeremiah's writings or, Isaiah's or whatever, when they write that way, or he gosh, even some of the stuff Jesus says. And so, um, and so it's just, it was fascinating to me. Now it's painful when one of those lighthouses goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when one of those lighthouses is who you, cause we can't put total confidence in other humans. Um, but, but we need to have other people in our lives who we can go to. And that's, I think that's something I would have left out is, I think a lot of times when I see people deconstruct, you look around them and you realize they have not surrounded themselves with godly friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they've either begun to surround themselves with with friends who are not invested in the truth, more invested in just affirming them and whatever they're feeling at the moment, you know, yep. instead of friends who will say, hey, we got to, we, we really need to talk through that. Like we need to sit and discuss this. We need to pray about it. We need to problem solve. We need to, all those different things. And so anyway, that, that struck me that I think a few months ago, I would not have listed that maybe a few years ago, for sure. I would not have listed. This yeah. is one of the anchors are my sons, my daughters, my wife, and my friends who I go to when I am in a pos- place to go. Really though, when, when I get to that place, where I'm like, really God? I mean, is that, is that really the deal? Like you're, or is the better answer that you're just not a thing? There's not really a you there. There is no you. And so that, that would, the, yes, the, would the world be scary and chaotic? Yeah. But it, at least then I wouldn't be, uh, you know, trying to make, trying to believe something. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a fascinating thing to wrestle through. And, and again, mm-hmm. that connects with what we talked about with people who are able to discuss it, hammer through it. They're not alone in it. They're not an Island as God says we aren't. And so whether it's, you know, the David Smalley's who are essentially being asked not to come to church because they're asking uncomfortable questions. 
mm-hmm. versus David Zoll or Mark uh, Leg or the other some of the other people we've interviewed, and all of us in the room are like, no, I, yeah, I've struggled, but I always knew I could ask. I mean, I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there were people I could go to. Maybe not everyone, but there were mm-hmm. people I could go to and discuss these things with. So, anyway, I, that's just one. I'm. It's striking me that we're defining friendship now in terms of not of people who draw us near to Christ or who draw us near to the to the truth, which might be a more secular way of saying it. Friends are friend, <laughs> friends are people who draw you near to the truth. It's now friends are people who affirm whatever I feel in the moment. Yeah. And that's not a lighthouse, that's quicksand. Um, it's mm-hmm. almost the opposite. So yeah. anyway, that struck me as an anchor that believers need to be considering mm-hmm. um, in their lives. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's good. A good what, one. What were the other what were the other ones for? So you? from a from a belief perspective, um, one of them is kind of funny, which is uh which Mark talked about, which was the you know, Mark, one of the things that Mark said in the podcast with him was uh, you know, right answers are the best answer tends to win, is is was one of his uh one of his posits as a philosopher. He's like the best I don't remember exactly the way he said it, but it was something like that. Something like yeah, like the best thought wins. The best or... thought wins. And so um and so even though there have been lots of other thoughts thrown at the best thoughts for thousands of years, somehow still 90 plus percent of humans are theists and, you know, one out of every three is Christian and or claims to be like, it turns out that, you know, maybe the God's word is the anvil around which the hammers lay broken. And, and it always feels scary to us when people come up with new hammers and we're like, oh, no, now there's a like and then. Mm-hmm. Then you read about, you know, the church in Africa, you know, the church in America is fading. And then you read about the church in Africa and the church mm-hmm. in Asia that are, that are exploding. Yeah. Like, okay, we've, we had our shot and maybe, maybe we've kind of blown it for a while and we'll have to be brought back at some point. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But uh, anyway, that was, that's comforting to me in one sense, because one of the things that struck us, struck me in those conversations with, that I've had with Mark over the years is, that, that it's not like the other options have are, are somehow better. And so that's one of the questions is, do I improve on my likelihood of being right by jumping ship? But again, my mindset is not just jumping ship. I would have to jump to another ship. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't do. They think they can just jump out of any ship and they'll be fine. And I don't, I don't trust that. That's a deconstruction without reconstruction. But I don't, Chris, you have to go back and listen to Mark's Mark's interview with us because he talked about the, um, what was it? The uh, evolutionary argument against naturalism. And uh, he explained it and it was that it's a, I think it's a Plattinga. I don't remember who it was, um, but huh. what, anyway, a, a philosopher who's just created this pretty airtight argument against nat- naturalism if you believe in secular evolution. Yeah, that secular evolution disproves nat- naturalism, and so it's kind of a it's anyway it's fighting mm-hmm. fire with fire a little bit there. But the um uh, but man, so my big ones are um if there if there is a god, would the world look like this? Mm. And um w- if there was a god, what would that god be like? And I keep I always go back to the fact that you would need if there's going to be a god. W- and I do think there is. I think all the arguments show that um, really well. And so I've kind of walked past the fear of there not being one or the concern of there not being a God at all mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. But if there was one, what would he need to be like? 
And I just feel like of all the religions of the world, the only one that gives a rational picture of what a creative God would be like is kind of the Judeo-Christian model. All the other gods don't make any sense uh, in my mind, having read their holy books. And so I'm, I'm left with this. I, there needs to be a God who is benevolent and yet who offers freedom. Um, otherwise, why bother to create? I can't wrap my brain around why any being would bother to create um, unless it was for a relationship. And in order for a relationship, you would need to, you would need to offer love and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that's why I have children, not just build robots. And that's why I have friends, not just have my computer program to say nice things to me. Mm-hmm. I have friends outside of chat GPT. Um, and so uh, anyway, that's, and only, and only the Christian, the Judeo Christian God fulfills those two things. Mm-hmm. Um is is initially benevolent and loving and also offers freedom. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a that's an anchor I go back to. It's like, okay, yeah, that's still the truth. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've realized I would just need a better explanation for Christianity in particular. I would need a better explanation for everything that surrounds the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um one, how does not how does a guy get dead? Romans killed people all the time, but how does that same guy get to be alive? Mm-hmm. And I and that includes things like why did his disciples behave the way they did? You, you've got to offer me an explanation for why a group of men really bought into this. And they all did. And they all stuck with it. All of the original eyewitnesses stuck with it. And most of them were tortured to death for believing it. And, our, and, the, and the failure rate was zero. And that's not just not how people work. Mm-hmm. I know people and that's not how people work. You just, you can't do it. It's hard enough to stick with the truth under pressure, much less... To stick with something you know is a lie under pressure. It's just not plausible. Mm. Um, and so there's not been anything offered up that I think offers even a close to rational explanation outside of the idea that there was a resurrection and they experienced it. Yeah. So that's so good. And then so kind of shifting then, unless Chris shared, is there anything uh, you wanted to say in response to that? No, no, that's great. Great. I agree. Uh, so we were talking before we started recording about um, Chris here, you're saying that you you guys are seeing a kind of a shift in apologetics. We're seeing kind of this shift from traditional identity to uh, modern identity to gospel, you know, or not necessarily a shift, but just um, just some stark differences there. Um, to me, this is like, okay, the, there is a need for anchors because it doesn't take long for culture to shift really drastically um, and if you don't have an anchor or a set of anchors or whatever, it's easy to kind of get the, get caught in the rush of everything. And so in, in my mind, sorry, my computer started doing weird things in my, <laughs> um, let's start that over again. Well, so in my mind, how, how are we as church leaders, as men, as people who are, you know, within our circle of influence, how are we raising up a generation that is anchored? Wow. You know, and so what what are we kind of helping train our kids or our neighbors or those we are discipling or discipling with, with excuse me, to have those anchors as well? It, what What would you say to people who are listening to this and they're like, hey, I'm not necessarily right now struggling with my identity in Christ, but I fear for my children who are coming up 
in a very different culture than I did. Um, and I want to help lay a good foundation, kind of set anchors for them. What would you, what would you encourage them mm. to maybe start doing? Or I don't know, but what is, what kind of, does that get anything going in your brain? I mean, yeah. other than doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's true. <laughs> Sorry, what are you going to say, Chris? No, well, it's just, I think it's going back to the basics because I know I, I quoted this in one of our podcasts before, but G.K. Chesterton said once that it, we we used to be more uh, confident about the truth and skeptical about ourselves. Yes. And now things have shifted. And he was saying this a long time ago. Yes. Where we're skeptical of the truth and, and more confident in ourselves. And I think um, it's what you've said, Chris, already about before about deconstructing our faith in man and ourselves that yes we're just so inundated with the idea that you can figure it out and you decide in your own highest authority and that is so appealing to us as humans who naturally want self-legislation self-gratification and so that's really appealing but it just leaves it in a really scary thing like you're you're you don't have anything solid years ago when greg kokel and francis beckwith wrote their book on relativism, they called it feet planted firmly in midair. <laughs> right. I remember that. Yeah. Because it was like, you literally have no, no, nothing to give you an anchor um, to plant yourself. Everything is all personal preference. And so I think starting from the beginning of um, we really should be, well, we should start with God. And um, is there a God? Has he spoken? Like we've said before, but then really, uh, I don't know the balance, sorry, the integration of self doubt. <laughs> like you need to, you need to train kids on, yes, you have value. You're made in God's image, but you, you should not trust yourself at all. Like you, we're really are sinners. And I know that sounds really harsh in today's world about like telling little kids they're sinners, but I've just, my problem is I trust myself too much and I keep thinking that I can figure it out. And the older I get, the more I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm just so desperately need God's wisdom because I, I, I don't know. So maybe that's a, more of a starting place with kids is reminding them that they're not the source of truth or shouldn't trust themselves. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what, what is going to teach that versus saying it. I wonder how much we, if there's even a problem with, uh, have you read, um, you guys read, um, Blast Child in the Woods? Um, I've only heard, you heard me Suggs talk about talk it. About it way oh, back Jeff Suggs. Okay. Yeah. So, what, yeah. so tell, tell me so about it. It's a fascinating, the guy, um, wrote a book, gosh, it's kind of probably 20 years now ago. Yeah. Um, called The Last Child in the Woods. And he's done a few since then. And he, um, but his premise is the idea of nature deficit disorder. And, and we have no idea what failure to get out into green spaces costs us. The yeah. failure to do that, what does it cost us? And, and I honestly think where I learned not to trust myself and somehow simultaneously a grew in confidence in myself, a healthy confidence, was out in the woods. Mm. Was, was knowing, okay, I can... I can do things. I can accomplish things. I can handle things and I can make the dumbest decisions. 
And and knowing that both are true about the same person, it does not cancel out my sense of confidence or competence or whatever that I know that I cannot do certain things and I can't mm-hmm. not capable of it. And I am capable of doing extremely dumb things. Um, and I feel like I learned so many of those lessons. Some I certainly learned like from my dad or mm-hmm. from working outside or from seeing that kind of stuff play out. But I, I feel like a lot of them I learned cause and effect. Like I can jump that mm-hmm. and, and being sure that I could and then getting about halfway across and then being dirty and muddy for the rest of the day because, you know, I didn't make it. And so like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what we're costing you know, the thought that I can, you know, build, you build a fort and then it falls over and you're like, what did I do wrong? It's just a, how do I, uh, anyway, I, I don't know what all we're losing. Is, is it well, that we we're on, when we're online, when we're playing video games or whatever, we never, yeah. there's all, you can always start over that you can't, I don't, anyway. But the, what, going back to your wilderness thing is it teaches you, none of this stuff out here cares about your feelings. It's just right. going to happen. There's laws <laughs> yeah, of gravity so or laws of nature or the weather. Yeah. None of it cares about you and you are helpless mm. in, a, in a lot of ways. And you've got to learn how to fit into this world versus that is a you great control the point. whole world or something. Yeah. It does not. I can, I can impact it. I can change it. It's, it's very modern in that I am a, an active member of creation, but I am not, I do not dictate the rules or the laws like it, the, the world becomes a, a, the material with which I build my home, but I'm not the one who made the world. And if yeah. I do something dumb, it will make me pay. It won't, it won't rescue me. Yeah. That's a, that is really interesting. That thought. So it's yeah. It's just like machinery. It's like working with a table saw. It's just going to do its own thing. It doesn't care about, Oh, my mistake. Like it doesn't care. It, <laughs> right, you're going to lose exactly. a finger. Like it's, it's just mechanical and it's has nothing to do with how it makes you feel. It's just like, there's a law here that you've got to respect and learn to follow. And if you think about it, that's kind of the weird thing, even with transgender stuff is we're saying, I don't care what biology tells me. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to change it. And it's like, we think we can, we can do this. And it's like totally going against what nature, what biology tells us. And it's sad. Surely there aren't consequences to going with how I feel versus the external realities. Yeah. And, and we've, we somehow convince ourselves of that and it makes it really difficult because I, and maybe it creates a generational thing. I don't know. But part of me is like, I just, I can't imagine that making sense to me. Like I'm trying to imagine being out there in the woods or operating a chainsaw or, or whatever and going, no, no, this tree's going to fall where I want it to fall. I'm like it's it, unless I invest a whole lot of time and energy and even then it's still going to fall where it falls. And if I don't play according to its rules, it's going to fall wherever it falls. And I don't have, I mean, I can, if I follow the rules, I can maybe make it fall where I want it to. Mm-hmm. And that's a cool thing to be able to do, to be able to make a tree fall where you want it to. Um, but as my kids got to see um, just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, like I, I set up a giant, I mean, probably a hundred foot pine tree and it was going to fall perfectly down the hill and everything was right. 
And just as I cut one of the wedges out, uh, a, tri- a, a gust of wind hit it and blew it uphill into my wedge, up into my uphill cut. Uh-huh. And like, well, it's not going downhill now. Like it's not, there's nothing, there's no force that I can create that that one gust of wind. And so unless I get a gust of wind the other direction and that wasn't happening, I now get to fall it sideways, but at least it won't follow my house. But, mm-hmm. and so, but it was like, there was nothing it did not care how I felt about where it fell. That's really intriguing that the natural world. Um, I, I have a friend who's a, a doctor right now and, and uh, she's in doing, she's doing some of the stuff in the, uh, at the mental health level and the, and the, you know, <coughs> LGBTQ issues and stuff things at the medical societies in Texas. And she posted some research in one of these forums, you know, she's a member. She's supposed to do this. It's for everybody. She posted, all she did was post some research there and they barred her and said, you know, you create an unsafe space. This is a medical doctor posting research on a medical site. Wow. And the answer was you're creating an unsafe space. Because it wasn't affirming? Because it wasn't, it wasn't purely affirming. All Mm -hmm. it did was call into question. Some of the research was like, some of this research is calling into question some of our assumptions. Mm. And, and that was it. And that was it. And at that point, she's done because like, what, what world do we live in where, you know, my feelings, how I feel is much more important than hardline medical research. Yeah. Yep. Um, much less that kind of stuff. So that's a great, uh, you know, my, my prayers with a lot of this is that, is that there is something that finally people can recognize it's not that feelings don't matter, and that's not what any of us are saying, but mm-hmm. that there's a there are truths that transcend <clears throat> how we feel. Yeah. And that's we need that. And we and we need those truths because, and this is key, and this is what I wanted to have this conversation. All of us sometimes feel things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or we feel things that aren't based on the truth. Um, I can feel like my wife doesn't love me even though all the evidence is that she does just because I'm delusional. I mean, I can feel things that aren't real, that aren't based in reality. Mm -hmm. I can feel anxious when there is nothing that I need to be anxious about. So there's so many examples of this and how dangerous it is when we don't have anything, anything that, that we can anchor to keep our emotions from becoming these huge out of control storms and out of control sails. I mean, it's like we raise our sails in the storm rather than lower our sails and put down anchors, which is what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. totally. just some thoughts. Hopefully that's encouraging for some type of encouragement for some people out there who are yeah. wrestling through this. And I think it's also a good reminder, like wherever you are in your faith, if you have not taken time to maybe address some of these anchors, I, it is going to be worth it. Whatever time that you spend mm. to, think about the Lord's faithfulness in your life. Like you're saying, Sherrod say, you know, maybe it is for you and your family to have, you know, little figurines or trinkets or something that is tangible for you to remember. And when, when your faith is called into question, is the Lord faithful? Is he here to remind you dive into scripture? Remember those things. Um, yeah. I don't think that time will be wasted. Mm-mm. Yeah. I agree. And I think, Excuse me. At the heart of it, and it's interesting that we're now in the middle of a month that's dedicated to the topic of pride. 
Right. But to think about what, what you're talking about, Chris, even going out in nature is it's very humbling to realize I, I'm really not in control or I don't have much say in this. And I think at the heart of what so many people struggle is today, it's, but I don't like that. And I don't want to blame it all on, we gave everybody trophies when they were kids. Right, right. But it's that like That may play somehow into it though. I know, but it's this attitude of, you are not the wisest person in the room. It is not all about what you think or want. And I just can't get away from thinking about like an Isaiah 29 where it says you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? In other words, you're looking at God, the mm. potter and saying, you're actually, we're reversing the roles that the thing made should save its maker. He did not make me or the thing formed of him who formed it. He has no understanding. So either it, the atheistic route of there is no God, he did not make me, or even if there is a God, he doesn't understand. He doesn't get under sexuality and gender. Like, Either way, it's I'm putting myself as the highest authority and it's pride. And that's the biggest thing. And that's where Jesus just said, yeah, you got to deny yourself, not affirm yourself. Um, it's not all about what you think, you know. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.